Hello, this is Philip Norville Joe Carroll, author and narrator of the Pariah Podcast, and I'm begging you to go to iTunes and leave me a review. Right now, I know that my daughter and one other person listens to this podcast, so please, if you have a heart, go by iTunes and give me a review. Thank you. This is episode six of the Pariah Podcast, A View from the West. Property values in Port Bannard follow the lay of the land and climb up the capital city slopes to the gates of the royal palace. Constructed of golden granite, imported from kingdoms to the south, the palace stands broad and monolithic to face the setting sun as it sinks into the ocean. Smaller palaces and manors crouch in its morning shadow, also gazing onto the ocean, the source of much of the kingdom's wealth. Traveling north, descending the increasingly narrow streets, the city deteriorates eventually into slums. Built upon stilts and pilings above the perpetually wet salt marshes, hovels seem to rot and crumble even before they are completed, and are thus in a continuous state of patching and repair. However, it is the lowland marshes which inspire westerner magic and give the coastal witches their true power. So it made sense that Fungless Tulcher navigated the treacherous boardways from shanty to shack over oily pools of stagnant brine, hopping lightly onto and off from floating mounds of peat. In the perpetual mists of the lowlands, he traversed the catwalks, head high and unafraid, wearing his royal sash over his tunic. The diagonal slash of yellow proclaimed to would-be robbers and murderers that here was a man who would be missed if he didn't return at the end of the day. He climbed rickety steps and pounded on a rotting plank door, nearly tearing it from its hinges. A wooden latch scraped aside and the door creaked open. Midday seemed dark outside on the boardwalks, the sunlight barely fighting its way through the persistent gaseous mist. Inside the miserable shack, shuttered glassless windows teased at shedding light. Fungus stepped into the hovel, peering through the darkness for a place to sit. Thinking the outline of a chair may be only his imagination, he felt it first and shook it to assure himself of its stability. He sat and looked up at the seer, a hunched outline framed in the doorway. "'I'm here,' Fungus said. "'My Lord Talcher, I've been expecting you,' a voice deep for a woman spoke from near his feet. I expected you would say something like that, Judith. What do the oracles prophesy besides my arrival? They say you have killed the wrong boy. Fungus spun out of the chair, lifted it by its feeble back and slammed it against the floor, sending shards of broken wood into dark corners. The woman had moved. Did your parents die of old age? He screamed at the seer. Are their prophecies incomplete, overly vague, or too complex for your simple mind to convey them. The oracles have spoken as clearly as one can expect, she rasped from where she cowered in a corner. Your oracles are dogs, Fungus spat into his hands and rubbed them together and thrust his palms at the seer. She scrambled further into the corner. Wood creaked as she leaned against the wall. I won't stand for your insults. Sit, stand, or lie on the floor like your oracle dogs. I don't care what you do, as long as you bring me an accurate reading from them. I will not be blindly guessing and running the risk of another mistake. 
The mistake was not the oracles, but the hearer of the prophecy. If your hastiness to act causes you to misread the portents... Fungus kicked at the shadow cowering in the corner. He was sure the seer's voice had just come from it. Kicking nothing but air unbalanced him, and he stumbled into the wall. Rotting boards popped and groaned beneath his weight, threatening to give way and let him break through to fall into the marsh. His heart pounded from the unusual exertion and the thought of plunging into the fetid murk. He turned back to the woman. I came to you all these years ago because you were supposed to be the strongest, clearest of the seers. You can't imagine the expense, what it will cost my credibility when I must admit that your oracles sent me to the wrong boy. It was not the oracles. He cut her off, though impressed that she sounded as angry as he felt. No one will care whose was the mistake. They will only see me, and I must bear that expense. I should kill you and find a new seer. You will not succeed, she said quietly. She could have been speaking to herself. I could kill you right now, with my bare hands, and you would die right now. How can you say I cannot? Again, you misread what ought to be clear, she said impatiently. When she spoke again, her words echoed from her mouth, as if three individuals shared her body. The oracle spoke. And now the seer tells. Judith shook a small clay jar, pebbles rattling inside it. She tipped the contents onto the floor and scurried back until the wall stopped her. A pale aquamarine pillar of smoke grew up from the stones and glowed between Fungus and the seer. Within it, two vague images solidified from the smoke and clung to one another. The only features in the cloudy gray forms were their black, empty eye sockets and their broad, lipless mouths. Soundlessly, their lips moved as if speaking. The seer's face appeared as vague as the twin shades in the light generated by the smoke. Judith, her eyes closed, her mouth moved along with the oracles, though all three voices sounded from her lips. A three, a three, a three. A last arises from the greatest, a star of glowing eyes alone, above the above. The second goes alone, along and gone, to not return on orange and black and teeth and claws. The seer sees and sees black and death and sees no more, the world unchanged, though unchanged complete. Ocean's sister child is dry, the waves recede and fish foul rot, the marshes fail and magic passes. The seer sees and sees a child, the child of seer's sight. An ocean child, orphaned of his parents, as strong as waves and waves as strong as mountain peaks, consume the fangs and claws and orange and black to fly the skies and fight the foul stench who rules and rule the lands. Judith fell silent. The aquamarine smoke dissipated. The oracles clung to one another, formed into a single shape, and screamed soundlessly as they faded away. Fungus tightened his tunic belt and searched for the chair which was no more, his legs shaking and threatening to buckle beneath him. The seer had shown him the oracles. He knew of no others who were not seers, who had been privileged to such an honor, such a horror. The words of the oracles repeated themselves inside his head, over and over, faster and faster, eventually overlapping themselves, becoming an incoherent babble. What? 
He gasped, surprised at his weakness, seeking again the shattered chair, considering sitting on the threadbare carpet. What did they say? What what do they mean? Mine is not to. His anger returned in an instant, though his strength fled further, and he leaned on his knees as he shouted, I know that, but you have to have some idea. What is it? There is another child, a brother or sister, of the boy we killed? What is the rest, the ocean's sister child? Would it be Westerland? Are we to face a drought, an invasion? I don't know. This time he knew where she was and found her, throwing his substantial weight at her, a single step away, and he slapped her across her temple. He grasped her hair with both of his hands and lifted her to her feet, though she kept her knees bent. She was light, like her body was made of straw. He brought her face right to his. What do you know? If you want to live to prophesy again, you'd better tell me quickly. I know you will kill me. You will not heed my prophecy, and you will fail. You're a liar. That is what you are. You're a stupid, blind liar, he growled at her. But she had broken his nerve. What if it was true? That her death would interfere with his plans and cause him to fail. Have you seen a prophecy which implies you may be allowed to live? And if the results are different? Judith only groaned and tried feebly to get her feet underneath herself. Still holding her by the hair, Fungus lowered the seer back to her knees. She put her hands to her head and sobbed. After a few moments of listening to the crying woman, he lost his patience again and kicked her thigh with the side of his foot. Speak, and quickly. I've little time to waste with you. She smeared her nose along the back of her wrist and said, The eventuality has to change. If the near future no longer holds my death, then a new prophecy may reveal your success. But... What? Don't try to trick me. I know you can't call up the oracles for three more days. How do you wish to bargain for your life? There is a boy who could be very valuable to you. I have no interest in boys, other than killing them. What makes this boy so valuable? He is the ocean child, of whom the oracles prophesied. I know where he is and can take you to him, though it will be my knowledge of him which will cause you to kill me. So giving you the boy will bring about your failure. An orphan? What good would he be to me? He is still of a tender age and can be trained in what he should accept and believe about his life's work. And though he believes he is an orphan, I know who his parents are and where you may find them. Fungalus had been in the woman's hut for too long, and the magic had taken its toll, had begun to siphon off a portion of his soul. Wiping sweat from his forehead, he asked, And who are his parents that I should care? He cannot be the child of our king and queen. Is he some merchant's bastard that I may use to claim a fortune or special favors? No, he is the son of seers. Both father and mother are among the most powerful. Centuries have passed since the last seer had been sired by a seer, and then it was a single gifted parent. With both parents gifted, this child will have power and clarity never found before on earth. Panting, Fungus leaned on his knees, white blotches formed before his eyes, obscuring what little he could see in the darkness. He gasped, I thought you were the most powerful. Is the boy your own spawn? The woman's laugh was so filled with derision, Fungus was more taken aback than angered. 
I am the most powerful of seers, who stoops to dealing with your kind. There are some in the coastal lowlands so gifted they will only speak to those who have been touched by magic as well. Two of these bore a child in secret, and spoke of him to no one. Yet my oracles have made him known to me. Fungus turned toward the door. I will return in three days. Be prepared to tell me the future, if I allow you to live. Nit cowered in the dark cellar, watching the thin line of light below the door at the top of the stairs. He couldn't tell how long he had sat in the darkness, awaiting the caretaker's return, though it began after breakfast and before lunch. Now his stomach rumbled as if he had never eaten. A shadow crossed the crack of light. Timble? Nit called and climbed the first few stairs. Timble, can I come out now? The shadow crossed the door again, and footsteps thumped across the floor above him. A door creaked open, the door to his own small sleeping room. Nit? a voice called from above. Yes, my lord, he shouted. I'm down below, in the cellar. Nit waited for a response, expecting the sound of something smashing against the floor, or footsteps stomping angrily to the door. There was neither sound nor movement. He held his breath and counted, slowly. He was past twenty when the footsteps began again and walked slowly to the door at the top of the stairs. Still perched on the second step up, he waited until the door swung open and listened for his master. "'Where's Timble?' Fungus asked. "'He's not here,' Nit said. "'I know!' Fungus screamed out and cut off as sharply as an axeman's chop. He took several long breaths and repeated as calmly as a caged mountain lion, I know he's not here. Where has he gone? I'm sorry, Lord Telcher. He said he must go out for a few hours to work some errands. Fungus turned his back on the boy and walked away grumbling about paying or not paying and something about errands before his voice was lost among the furniture of the sitting room. Nit knew the stairs well, where to step to avoid creaking wood, and climbed silently to the kitchen and turned to follow his lord. The man was still muttering under his breath as he examined Nit's desk, the sand tray, and parchment pages scattered about it. Nit held his breath as Fungus bent to the floor, retrieving a piece of parchment. The man slowly turned to stare down his bent nose. If he had not been painfully familiar with his master's mercurial temperament, he would have found the old man's stare funny, mostly balding, with hair growing only just above his ears and around the back. He had a long wisp of feathery hair which grew from the top of his head and refused to lie back down toward his shoulders. Instead, the stray piece was forever hanging in his eyes or wafting up into the air. His lean face with sagging jowls matched the rest of his bent frame, which must have once supported a body larger and firmer than it did at this time. He had an overall triangular appearance, balding head, narrow shoulders, a sagging roll of flesh overhanging his belt, and his long tunic flaring out over wide hips and a big backside. I placed my parchments in a near pile before I was sent downstairs. I don't know, Fungus sighed, showing unusual control, and dropped the parchment piece carefully into the middle of the sand tray. He turned his back on the boy and walked toward the front door. 
evaluate the runes, and tell me if any are missing. Nit hurried to his desk, shuffling through a stack of parchment pieces, each the size of his hand. He organized them rapidly into proper order and said, Yes, two are missing, he laughed. When Fungus whipped around and cut into him with an angry glare, Nit said, Timble took the two simplest of the runes, Cat Sleeping and Quiet Pond. Draw them for me, Fungus demanded. Nit sprinkled water from a clay cup onto the sand and smoothed it with the side of a long stick. He drew a horizontal line from one edge of the wooden frame to the other, halfway down the tray. Above the line, he drew Cat Sleeping, holding the pointed stick perfectly perpendicular to the sand, and below the line, he drew Quiet Pond. As he lifted the stick from the sand, Fungus pushed him aside and bent over the tray. Nit thought his master barely breathed as he examined the runes. Without comment, he turned away toward the kitchen. With his back towards Nit, the old man rifled through his shoulder satchel. "'My Lord Telcher, may I go out today? It's been nearly ten days since I last left the house.' "'No,' he dismissed Nit's request absently, still searching his bag. Timble opened the door, took one step into the house, looked about at Nit by the writing desk, and then at his master, and stepped back out. "'Wait!' Fungus said, without looking up from his work. "'Come in! Sit!' The caretaker stepped toward Fungus, who held up a hand, motioning him to stop. "'No, sit over there, next to the boy!' Timble hesitated. "'Now, Timble!' Timble hurried to the chair and sat next to Nit. "'Draw the axe falls!' Nit knew better than to question his master, though he took a moment to ponder him in his mind. He followed Timble's haunted stare to the sand tray and found his answer. There lay Timble's accusers, a representation of the runes he had stolen. With the sight of his stylus, Nit smoothed away the runes, and carefully, much more slowly than he had scribed the first two, he drew out the more complicated The Axe Falls. When he looked up from his work, the master stood behind a very pale Timble. It's beautiful, isn't it? How the edge penetrates the plank and sends a crack bleeding along the grain. Nit followed and looked from the simple lines of the rune traced in the sand and then at Lord Talcher and Timble. He didn't see what his master described, though his caretaker did, and it worried him fiercely. Sweat beaded on his forehead, and he licked his colorless lips. "'Does this rune speak to you, Timble? Does it give you any special feelings, or maybe prophecies?' "'No, Lord Talcher. You know I am a simple man, and can't read much of the regular letters, much less these fancy ones.' Fungus placed his hands on the sitting man's shoulders and squeezed them gently. "'You misunderstand me.' he said in a kindly tone, though something heavy and foreboding rumbled beneath his words. I'm not asking you to tell me what it says. I'm asking you to tell me how it makes you feel. Timble drew in a breath as if to speak, but Fungus cut him off, squeezing his hands, digging his fingers painfully into Timble's shoulders. He spoke through gritted teeth, as if moving his jaw would allow an uncontrollable demon loose. He said, "'Choose your answer wisely. I'm giving you the chance to reconcile any unintentional errors.' "'Yes,' Timble gasped. I, "'I see what you mean. I feel from this rune that I may have unintentionally moved and misplaced some 
two of, of the ruins, which were left unattended and in disarray this morning. I feel like I know where they are, and if you but give me a small portion of an hour, I should be able to retrieve them for you. Go now, be quick, Fungla said, removing his hands from the other's shoulders. Before Timble stood, the master plucked a long gray hair from the back of his head. Timble turned as he stood, frowning at the hair pinched between Fungus's fingers. He smiled at the caretaker and said, "'Be quick, and you will be rewarded.' As soon as Timble hurried from the room, Fungus placed the gray hair across the rune drawn into the sand, took a book from the shelves above Nit's desk, and opened it to the first page. The page was blank, and when Fungus tore it from the book, Nit saw the next was blank as well. When the master returned the book to its place, Nit tried to read the three runes along its spine, but they were unfamiliar. You will learn this in the next two years, at which time it will become very important to you. When I'm twelve? Nit asked. You can add. How impressive, Fungus snarled. Now be still. He placed the parchment page on the sand, covering the rune and single hair. You must be certain that none of your own hair or other parts of you is upon the sand. Don't even breathe on it, if at all possible. He opened a door on the back of the desk and took a vial of oil and tipped a drop to the center of the page. The page changed as a stone disturbs a pond, with ripples out from the center, each changing the cream-colored parchment a slightly darker shade of blue until it was as dark as the sky at midnight. Fungus picked up the page by its edges and held it up to the light coming in at the windows. Where the paper was left untouched by the sand, the sheet remained light tan. The page held a perfect copy of the rune, The Axe Falls. While this trick with the rune and paper was impressive, Nit still looked wistfully toward the door, imagining playing a game of sticks and stones with the few local boys who regularly could be found outside. Fungus must have translated Nit's look. He took a tack and pressed it through a corner of the blue parchment rune, hanging it on the front door, and said, Focus, Nit. I have more work for you to do. Your skill is strong, but not nearly strong enough for what lies ahead of you. What is that, Master Talcher? What lies ahead of me? I've told you before. You are going to change the world as we know it, and don't interrupt me, he said, raising his hand to stop the boy's next question. I will not be more specific until you are much older. I rescued you from a near-certain death at your parents' hands and took you into my care for this purpose. Your parents were evil, awful fiends, and deserve the punishments that await them. I thought you said my parents were dead, Nit said, narrowing his eyes. I thought they were, he said convincingly enough for Nit to relax. I've only recently found out otherwise, but let's not worry about that now. I have more runes for you to learn. Nit did forget his concern immediately and completely, and his chest filled with the thrill of discovering new runes. What are they called? he asked, leaning toward the master. The first is called, hold your breath, and the other is, well, leprosy. Leprosy? Nit said, frowning at Fungus. Like the skin illness? Yes, now no more questions. These runes cost me a lot of gold. It will take you some time to master them, so I expect you to start on learning them right away. I will, Nit said, with real enthusiasm, and turned back to the sand tray, picked up his stylus, 
and turned it sideways to smooth the sand. The rune, the axe falls, was no longer traced into the sand. The tray was as smooth as if the rune had never been drawn there. Master, the sand, Nit said. Fungus glanced toward the sand tray, nodded, and turned away. Tacked to the wooden door by a corner, the blue parchment rune hung at an odd angle, giving the familiar arrangement of curved lines a strange and unsettling appearance, like a face at one moment friendly and familiar, but with a sudden change of light it is frightening and evil. With chills running the length of his spine, he turned back to the sand tray. With a practiced grip, Nit held the stylus loosely between his fingertips, the wooden stick as perfectly perpendicular to the sand tray as the human hand could achieve and the eye could perceive. He laughed as the curves and hashes refused to follow his mind's directions. It always began this way. From the first and simplest rune he had learned, the sun rises, a single circle placed at the very center of the sand tray. The sand and stylus seemed to work against him, refusing to draw the lines as he imagined, giving him a curve when he imagined a straight line, or a square when he wanted a circle. These two runes were intricate, more so than any others he had seen so far. It would take him months, if not the rest of the year, to master them. But with each success, each bend and ray, won over through his diligence, would come a strength inside him, a mental muscle in his mind, which would make the next success attainable. Fungus placed a pewter plate at Nit's elbow, an action Nit would expect from the caretaker and not the master. A candle burned at his opposite elbow, and the cloudy gray glass of the window was black. Oh, Timble hasn't returned. It's late, Nit said, setting down the stylus. His stomach rumbled as his nose registered the smell of bread and cheese on the plate. I expect he'll be very late tonight, Fungus said as he turned back to his private room. Nit had finished his supper and was reabsorbed in his work when a single thump at the door sounded as if someone had thought to knock and then changed their mind. He looked around. Fungus obviously hadn't heard the sound, so he got up to check the door himself. Who's there? Nit called, his hand on the latch. The only reply was a faint, scraping sound, low down near the threshold. Who's there? Nit said again, angry that someone was possibly playing games with him. Maybe it was one of the small children he occasionally played with, wanting to ask a favor, but too shy to knock loudly. He fetched the candlestick from his work desk and returned, sliding the latch, opening the door and looking for one of his smaller friends. Nit screamed and jumped back, almost losing the candle. Timble spilled sideways into the room from where he had sat on the stoop, leaning against the door. He clutched the two missing runes in one hand, though they were ruined with mud and blood. His tunic and hose hung on him in filthy tatters. Bloody bones and sinews showed through torn flesh on the backs of his hands, as if he had crawled for miles, propelling himself forward with only the knuckles of his fists. Dead, bloodshot eyes bulged red against the pale, gray-blue skin of his face. A deep cleft at the base of his neck exposed shattered bones and severed vessels, though no blood pooled on the doorstep. Could he have bled out during his trek, which had shredded both clothing and skin? It didn't seem possible, and yet here he lay, as dead as any rotting corpse dragged from the lower city by wild dogs. The blue rune parchment 
lay on the floor next to Nit's former caretaker, apparently having come loose from its tack when the door had opened. In the light of the candle, it seemed almost as pale as Timble, and Nit reached for it, offended that it lay on the ground, violated by dirt and blood. Before his fingers touched it, the rune parchment crumbled into ash. Nit gasped. Behind him, Fungus murmured, "'Don't let it worry you, Nit. The rune's purpose is completed, and it's proper that it should return to its original elements. Fetch me the runes from his hand, and then roll him down to the street.' By the time Nit returned to the house, wiping mud and bits of flesh from his hands onto his hose, Fungus had returned to his room, leaving the two filthy runes on Nit's work desk. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more, stop by my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Joe and see how you can help me produce these episodes and earn some bonuses for yourself at the same time. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author, producer, is more sustaining than food and water. If you'd like to know what else I've written, or am writing, stop by my website at norvaljoe.com or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash philipcarrollauthor. Philip with one L, Carol with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.